Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that takes a long, hard look at all the issues in the property world. And today we're examining the growing competition between the residential and industrial sectors for access to London's increasingly expensive land bank and asking whether the two of them can coexist as they're supposed to. 9% of the residential pipeline coming forward in London is made up of the types of sites that would be highly attractive to industrial occupiers and it's equivalent to around 130,000 residential units. Who is responsible for building these mixed-use schemes? It's residential developers. So residential developers don't want industrial in their schemes and so they're doing everything to sort of fudge it. You know, they call it industrial, but actually it looks like an office building or a shop to me. It's not proper industrial space. I think we're still tinkering at the edges. I think there's such a deficit of land coming through the planning system. I think we've got to have a review of poor quality greenbelt and there could be a huge amount of land release through that. I'm Guy Ruddle and with me are three people who between them come to this subject from every possible angle. Bridget Outrim is a director in the Industrial and Logistics team. She focuses on advising developers on urban logistics and mixed-use developments. Bridget, hello. Welcome to you. Hello, Guy. Nice to see you again. Been on the podcast before. I think everyone actually has, here has been on the podcast before. So Ed de Jong is a director in the land team in the London Residential Development Division. He's a specialist in East London, where this is a particularly acute problem. Ed, welcome back to you. Good morning, Guy. And Lydia McLaren is an associate in the residential research team, and she also manages the Savills Development Land Index. Lydia, welcome back to you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Right. Okay. So let's get into this. I think, Lydia, can we start with you? Because we've got on the ground, Ed and Bridget in their particular areas, but but you're you're sort of looking at things uh, from from perhaps from above in a a slightly different perspective. Could you just set the scene a bit? Tell us why there's an issue and and, and how we've got to where we are. Yeah, sure. So I suppose from a contextual perspective, so we all know that London needs more new homes. But in order to service these new homes and we have increasing consumer expectations for next day delivery, same day delivery in some cases. So that means that London also needs more industrial and logistics space. And from a residential perspective, we are currently experiencing a very interesting time in the land market. So the residential London land market is experiencing considerable downward pressure. So you have rapidly rising bill costs. You have lower affordable housing values, slowing house price growth. So actually what we've seen is that over the last year, growth in central London land values and outer London values have been at 0% and minus 1.2%. And this is against a regional, the regional markets, which are seeing you know really exceptional levels of strength. And a key challenge that we're seeing in the land market is that there is a shortage of supply. So that is challenging the viability of residential schemes. So what this means that we are seeing is that many landowners are increasingly considering alternative deal structures, but then they are also considering competing commercial uses, such as industrial. So what we have been actually seeing is that developers are increasingly being outbid by industrial. And this is a new thing, right? This is a because for for many many years. I mean, we'll come to Bridget in a minute, but I imagine that the Bridget's part of the world, the industrial sector, has had has had to fight for land for a long time with residential, and that's now completely changing. So it's it's very interesting because it represents a completely new dynamic in the residential land market, and it's something that we haven't seen before. Just on just on scale, just on size, how how big a problem are we actually talking about? What our figures are showing is that. 
9% of the residential pipeline coming forward in London is made up of the types of sites that would be highly attractive to industrial occupiers. So that's sites that are close to road networks, that are close to existing residential areas. So that's 9% of the residential pipeline and it's equivalent to around 130,000 residential units. You know, we're not saying that all of these sites will come will be lost to industrial, but it's just to highlight the scale of this issue. So, Bridget, I, I, I know you're going to want to want to jump in on this because this, this is your moment in a way for your sector. But let's let's get Ed's sort of perspective from the residential side first, and then we'll we'll come to you for on the ground. Ed, what's your situation sort of in more detail, and and, and what's your plea, if you like? Well, as an agent trading in these markets, where undoubtedly in a a new dynamic where in many cases industrial users purchasers are paying significantly more for residential development sites than residential developers can afford so residential is to some extent becoming an endangered species within greater london that's a big statement i really yeah it's true i mean let me let me just give you one example uh i had a client that spent years uh and millions of pounds getting a planning permission for hundreds of residential units. We went out to the market at the beginning of this year, and what do you know, the top bidders were industrial for continuation of that industrial use. It was industrial. And the premium paid was some 50% ahead of the residential developers. So that just illustrates the the, the problem we have, or the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Bridget, so from your side of things, it, you at first glance, you might go, "Well, we're happy days." You know, we're we're finally winning the, you know, the the battle for the land which we've had to fight so long for. Is it as as, as simple as that, or, or does it create its own problems for you? Well, like everything, there's complexities to it, and that's a phenomenon which is very new. I'd say it's in the last twelve months that we've seen that sort of strength of buying power, and and that's that's been that's coupled with in London a surge in rental values. So we've had huge rental growth, and also the investors. There's lots of money chasing industrial assets. So when you've got that weight of money chasing a single asset, then the the values will all start going in one direction only, and that's upwards. So we've got the buying power and the strength to buy sites but not all sites are suitable for industrial you know it's a very particular use and it has to be in the right place so that the sort of industrial um, property that's developed is fit for purpose for the occupiers who need it in london and that's really not what we're seeing at the moment aren't we supposed to have a a plan to take into account all these things isn't there a thing called the london plan which is supposed to balance out all these competing interests and make sure everybody gets their own you know, gets their own fair share. Well, we do have a plan, Guy, but the problem is it's backwards looking and it's not, it can't keep pace with the way the market's changing. So we've got a plan that's devised for a situation that existed four or five years ago. And now where industrial developers are buying land over residential developers, we had a situation where the plan protects industrial land. Actually, what now needs protection is residential land. And so it's not really satisfying the needs of the, the London's residential or industrial developers we've also got the situation of a terrible forced compromise where two uses have to work above each other so residential working above industrial and that creates all sorts of problems guy you for example you you might have heard of the growing btr sector huge 
exciting new space coming built in. Built to rent. Built to rent. Absolutely. These are very sophisticated purchasers. And in the future, they look, or they're very much horizon planning. So they're looking for, for any tensions that might arise. So if you've got a working delivery depot below residential in future years, complaints, that could interrupt their investment horizon, so on and so forth. Yeah, so we should probably explain that a bit because, because Lydia, that, that, what Ed's talking about is this thing of concept of co-location, which was supposed to be one of the sort of great white hopes of, of this. It, it, it's not quite working out like that. So it, it seems as though, you know, there are a lot of challenges associated with both co-location and industrial intensification. So that's when you are densifying the in- existing industrial site. And as Bridget said, not all types of industrial activities are compatible are compatible with residential and co-location, industrial intensification doesn't work in all types of locations. It seems to me that it's quite hard to sell fundamentally residential stuff to people living on the same site or in the same location as a warehouse or a light industrial or, or anything like that. I just I, I don't really see how that's a sort of, you know, a viable future. And, and that, that's part of the problem. You're absolutely right, guys. So if you're a residential developer and your, your main purpose is selling flats, you look on the ground floor and think, right, what on earth is that? That looks like an industrial building. I don't like it. So um, who is responsible for building these mixed-use schemes? It's residential developers. So from an industrial perspective, what we're getting is, is, a, is a very vanilla commercial space, which actually is not fit for purpose for the industrial occupiers who are providing essential services to London. So we're not, we're not getting space that is suitable for trucks. We're not getting space which is suitable for, for heavier industries, which actually all of us in this room need for our daily lives. There are one or two sites which I've been involved with where um, we've been involved at a very early design stage where the industrial has been um, given the, the logistics and distribution planning use class and, and that has uh, that's much better outcome for the industrial sector but there's very, very few of those so we're still losing loads and loads of space. We've got to be able to find solutions to this. Yeah, there must be solutions out there. I don't know how easy that's going to be. But why don't you, Lydia, sort of come up with a couple of suggestions or, mm-hmm. or, or whatever and see, uh, see how well... see We run those up a flagpole and see if either Bridget or Ed salute them. So we definitely need to work out how to balance these competing demands for land. And it seems as though the GLA under the London plan have been very much focused on the industrial intensification side of things so that they seem to be proactively trying to demonstrate best practice, bringing forward good quality industrial spaces to showcase proof of concept, also to show that successful case studies can be viable, can be deliverable, trying to take on some development risk and unlocking difficult sites. But this does only form a part of the solution and there is a lot more that can be done. The GLA, when, when they first come up with their, their co-location policy, I, I was open-minded about it because I understand the tensions and, you know, the issues. Um, but I, since then, I've worked with my residential colleagues in Savills to try and make it happen in reality. And, and, and it's the point I made earlier that, you know, residential developers don't want industrial in their schemes. And so they're doing everything to sort of fudge it. You know, they call it industrial, but actually it looks like an office building or a shop to me. It's not proper industrial space. So, so, so there is an issue with the co-location, um, but uh, where I have seen it work well is where the, it's on, on large sites where you can have better separation of the two uses. So um, at the moment, the GLA policy applies blanketly across London. 
London, actually, I think there should be a minimum site size. And that way, we'll get a better solution for all sectors, um, as opposed to just everywhere. So that's, that's, that's one solution. Ed, I don't know whether there's anything you want to add to that. Well, I would go a little bit more radical than that. I think we're still tinkering at the edges. I think there's such a deficit of land coming through the planning system. I think we've got to have a review of poor quality greenbelt, and there could be a huge amount of land release through that. So that's greenbelt that's really not contributing where there's fly tipping, etc. Are we ever going to change that? Is, is there any realistic possibility, Ed, of, of, of the current policy re-greenbelt changing? It's highly political, which is why it's so difficult. But I guess things are going to have to get to such a pressured point where that will probably be the only solution on this type of scale we're talking about. The whole tone of our conversation is about residential versus industrial. And now that the industrial developers has got, have got so much buying power, you know, they're going out and they're buying um, office parks and they're buying retail parks for demolition and creation of industrial space. So one of the solutions is actually looking at the, the wider commercial sectors and which of those do we no longer need so much of. And, you know, I'm waving my flag about retail, so apologies to all the retail agents. But the, the truth is we've had a lot of retail space we don't need for an awful long time, particularly secondary retail shops, which could go to other either residential or industrial uses. So I think the planners need to be a bit more open-minded about where industrial goes and and not necessarily just mixing the industrial and residential. They're not the only two sectors. There also could be greater flexibility around planning allocations to allow for land use swaps. So traditionally, you've had a lot of industrial land located along the river and canal networks. And actually, as we've highlighted, it seems as though industrial land needs to be located to strategic road networks. It needs that kind of access. So in theory, a proactive solution is to allow for land use swaps where you swap industrial land located next to a river, next to a canal, near a residential area with that residential land located to those strategic road networks. And I think the reason that's not happened previously or the planners haven't allowed for it is because the industrial developers haven't had the buying power to be able to just to swap like that, but now they can. So if a planner says, well, that, that retail park out there should be industrial, there's every chance it might be now because the industrial developers can actually afford to go and buy it, whereas previously it was never going to happen. There's also the practicality of doing a land deal where you've got now a third party and third party land and you're trying to find an equilibrium in vendors' expectation between those two bits of land. The other thing, I, I slightly disagree with you, Lydia, on your perfect situation of a sort of river setting, if you like, that is perfect for residential and not necessarily a fit for industrial. If we take my operating area, if we take the River Lee running through East London, many of those riverside sites, whilst they'd be fantastic for residential, they also back onto road networks, so are perfect candidates for industrial Hence, industrial probably wins the day on those. So it's, it, it's not solving the problem. Bridget, do, does industrial uh, want lots of land even if, the, if it knocks out housing? You know, if you see what I mean, because it, you know, at some point you're going to get to the point where you've got enough industrial, enough logistics rather for, for, the, for the housing you've got. And if you just carry on doing more logistics, you're not building any houses to, to, to service they're, it. They're, they go hand in hand. So, so the, the more residential units that are developed, the more industrial space you need to service them. Industrial space is, is, like, um, is like a utility provider now. It's, like, it's, it's infrastructure. So because, Guy, everyone is, is on, on the internet and they're ordering goods in, you know, that what, what supports that is the industrial sector. Because we're all sitting at home watching, you know, um, streamers services on TV – 
that's all been provided for in film studios and the film studio uh, or the film industry is one of the huge um, occupiers of industrial space around London massively so so everything that we do our, our modern lifestyles are supported by the industrial world so I think that what we need to do is understand this whole scale change in in the way that we operate and accordingly you know the the type of property that we have needs to support that and that that's that's a, that's a big difference to what we where we've come from in the past 30 years each new household requires 69 square foot of warehousing space for all its e-commerce needs yeah so I, I'm sort of reaching the conclusion that we're not going to actually solve all the problems in this, <laughs> so completely solve this problem in one go today. Maybe we should come back in six months' time and have and have another conversation about it. We did a seminar about uh, two months ago, and we invited lots of people, and we broadly came out with what we've discussed today. And there weren't any wonderful solutions at the end of it. We really wanted that. We wanted mm. to sort of leave on a fantastic note, but we can't see any till I think the GLA wake up and realise the extent of the problem that's brewing. And part of this is, is beginning to sort of um, turn the spotlight on to the, the, the problem that is forthcoming, really. The GLA let loads of industrial land go. And that's why it's so expensive now. And now they're, they're only really going to pay attention because they can't hit their housing targets. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really going to stifle yeah. residential development. And that's that's yeah. problematic. I mean, and then the industrial world's not happy about that. You know, we, we want you to build more residential units so that yeah. we can follow through with more warehouses. Just need more land. When we spoke to the GLA and we kind of gave a sneak preview of our figures and highlighted the scale, you know, they were shocked and really shocked at, you know, the scale of this issue and I don't think they realised how much is this affecting the residential land supply so they definitely are engaged and want to know more You're not allowed to go you three without solving the problem of tell me something I don't know which is our little feature to sort of add a little something a little bit of extra wisdom and knowledge to the sector so you've all been been warned about this all prepared for it what well Lydia we'll wait we'll let you go last because you're the research person so you you must have loads of things that you can tell us that that we don't know we'll start with Ed Ed tell me something I don't know well last year we fell behind on the London plan target for the delivery of new additional dwellings by 14,817 homes can you tell me something a bit more positive that I don't know, Bridget? <laughs> well, I can talk to you about the increase in land values for industrial land, which have more than doubled in the last couple of years. Um, or I can tell you about um, the record levels of take-up we've seen in the whole of the UK. So in the first quarter of this year, we had 13 million square feet taken, which is a record quarter. And um, there's, there's a perception that it's all about Amazon. And um, and with Amazon, sort of some not such positive news coming out recently, maybe be some worries about the economy there but Amazon were in the first quarter only responsible for about three percent of take-ups we've got a huge range of different occupiers in our sector that will take that space and continue to need it. Lydia you get the last word tell me something it's not going to be very difficult if, if I'm honest but tell me something I don't know. So I suppose really important to highlight here is that yes we've been discussing London and how this is very much a problem in London but this is starting to apply to more locations so as we've mentioned we have a sweet spot around the M25 where we are seeing strong prices being paid for industrial land but we are also picking it up in other locations such as the northeast, northwest, south coast and the west midlands so definitely one to keep an eye out for. 
Thank you all very much for your time and your wisdom today. If all that has done is whet your appetite for more information, you'll find plenty on the research section of the Savills website, savills.co.uk slash research, including Lydia's report on this whole subject. So you can delve into much more detail there. That's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. Thank you very much for listening and see you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.